All right, where the first mo of the year invites a new kind of beer. Welcome back to Liquid Gold right here on the We Own This Town podcast network, weownthistown.net. My name is Mike Wolf, your host today. My co-host Kenneth Dedman will be along shortly, and we're bringing in a beer expert today. He he ran the incredible beer program and beer list at Kuchny & Keller, a beloved local German, Polish, Eastern European food and drink spot that closed in the Germantown area. What was it, about a year or two now? But phenomenal stuff. You can find Aaron Clemens, super talented chef. He's doing uh, Bill's Sandwich Place now over here in Inglewood, which is incredible. So check that out. They are on Instagram, Bill's Sandwich Place. And that's where you can find uh, all that talent that went into the food there at Kuchnia. Anyway, we are talking today about Trappist beer. Beer brewed by Trappist Monks. We've got three of the big heavy hitters on tap today that we're going to discuss. Orval, Shimei, and Wes Mala. We got Buddy on a Zoom call all the way from Tucson, Arizona. And I was kind of jealous of uh, of Buddy being out there in Tucson. It's such a gorgeous area. I haven't been back there for about 20 years now, but um, had a few trips there that were pretty memorable and uh, really loved that area. As always little programming note you can find us on instagram at liquid gold underscore pod and you can email us liquidgoldpod at gmail.com go back through the archives and listen to all the different various things that we've covered all these different topics we've covered chocolate a lot lately we covered uh fernet in december that's a fun one our chartreuse episode Our previous episode was real popular, and we want to thank everybody for checking that out. We got into some mildly controversial topics, such as, are they using artificial coloring in chartreuse? The word is no, but a lot of people say, how on earth are you getting those colors naturally? Well, it could be dandelions. It could be the completely perfect suspension of the... uh, compounds in some of these herbs that they use for chartreuse but go back and check that out benedictine was part of monks of march monks of march has been extended into april this will be our final monk related episode we just had to get into these beers which are some of the best beers available in the world we are hard at work at the on the liquid gold holiday drinking guide cheer which will be out in late october we're tying up the loose ends on that so we've been pretty busy with that and uh, we'll be doing episodes around about every couple weeks or so as we lead up to the summer. Let's turn things over to our conversation with Buddy Buttram and Kenneth Dedman, Liquid Gold Zone, about these Trappist beers and why they're so special. All right, it's Monks of March here on Liquid Gold. It is, it is Monks of March extended because it is April and we've had a lot of Monk-related content to get to. Go back and check out our chartreuse episode and Benedictine. And then we've got some uh, some cool wines thrown in there as well. Today we're talking beer with a beer meister who um, had one of the best beer lists that I've ever seen. And uh, it was a pleasure to work with him over at Kuchni and Keller, a beer haven. Mr. Buddy Buttram, how are you, sir? Very good. Thank you, Mike. That was uh, a sweet, sweet intro. And it made me miss... Uh, not only Coochie and Killer, but working with you. I know, man. It was so fun, and it was just kind of unexpected. It was just like both of us, all of a sudden we're working together, and we were having a lot of fun doing it. And yep. 
God, there were so many amazing beers coming through there. But you go way back as well with our homie and co-host, who I need to bring in right now, Mr. Kenneth Deadman. Kenneth, how are you? Hello, Mike. I'm well. We can pretend we haven't been talking on the phone for the last hour and a half. <laughs> well, while you're waiting on me, on uh, it's good Arizona to have you to come in here. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kenny and me worked together at um, Merchants. Now I was wondering about that earlier today because that's how I met Mike. I was want the window of the three of us working at the. Se- I was wondering. I was going to ask. Oh yeah, y'all, it's a Merchants like, Vortex. We're, we're here still talking about monks who make things, basically. Um, it's been a lot of fun to do this series, and really the idea came from the fact that many of us have had at times to live like monks and to live a more silent and more kind of isolated existence. Um, now, I have had a lot of fun, so later in the show I will be doing A Day in the Life of a Trappist Monk. Um, these have been, I've heard from some people that it like makes them go to sleep, <laughs> which I think is incredible, and I'm happy to provide that service. So I'll be given that day in the life, which I think is fascinating. But we're talking about three different breweries, three different, you know, the almighty king of the mountain kind of beers here. We've got West Small Trappistale. We've got Orval Trappistale. We've got Chimay. And um, Kenneth and I have the, uh, have the triple which is the quote-unquote newest beer that they make. Buddy's oh, got some other really cool things from yeah, Chimay. Yeah, okay, that's cool because this is the um, this is the first one. This is their first beer. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so that's good. Cool. Oh, perfect. Good. I got the I newest, I got the oldest. So these beers are incredible. These are bottle-conditioned. You know, they've been made for right around the same way for hundreds of years, sometimes 200 years, sometimes almost 300. Buddy, so we're all drinking Orval right now. And mm-hmm. you were you were running that beer program at Coochie and Keller when we had like the Orval glass. You've got the Orval glass right there in front of you. Those big goblets. We had the West Small. Still. Look at that. That is six just gorgeous. Yeah. We need to take some photos for the Instagram on that. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about this one because this one is known as the you know a, a Trappist ale that has the wild yeast character to it and is super funky. You know, it's like. Kenneth and I were talking about chicken liver pate a little bit and just some wild like flavors that we were getting. So what do you love about this one, the Orval? Man, I mean, I, it may be my favorite beer of all time. I thought that that was West Mala for a while, but Orval, I think, has taken its place. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's super dry. It's really... I don't know, really refreshing, I feel like. I feel like it's got, like, of all the things that I want to find in a beer, it has all of them to me you know it's hoppy Mm -hmm. it's a little bit bitter it's kind of medicinal i I don't know it's just it's i think it's kind of a perfect beer one of the few perfect beers i've ever tasted it really has it all so it has like this if you were closing your eyes and you didn't look at the color which does have a beautiful kind of golden hue to it um but if you're if you just closed your eyes and drank it you would think it was much darker because i feel like it it can have this kind of smoky fruity dried hop kind of character to it but then when you use your nose and you're really smelling it it has all these like fruity nutty aromas and you're right it is one of the most complex beers that i've ever tasted well just like uh bottle condition beers i figure it's a plus if they're 
made by monks, but like uh, using natural yeasts and bottle conditioning, everything makes it like truly unique in a way that like once it's exposed to air, it changes. So your first sip is not going to be necessarily the same as 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 your last sip. Actually, quite different and changing mm-hmm. changing Absolutely. over time as well. I want to hear, buddy, I want to hear you talk a little bit about bottle-conditioned beers for a second because you know a lot about that, and that's kind of the hallmark of these different styles of beers that are made by monks. I wanted, to, but, but before I hear from you on that, I want to say that the though, the though this beer that we're drinking right now, the Orval, it goes back to 1931 when they founded that particular brewery. But the Abbey itself and uh, their tradition of making beer goes back to 1628. Mm-hmm. And um, they stopped brewing, it appears. They stopped brewing the beer entirely themselves in 1793. And then there were a few periods over the next 140 years going up to 1931 where they were making the beer. They weren't making the beer. Um, and then a lot of the records fell off. And now it's made by kind of people who live in the town, people who are experienced in brewing, and it's very well respected, but that's that's the perspective I've got on like the brewery and everything, which is just fascinating. But uh what do you what do you what can you tell us about bottle conditioned beers, how they're special, how they're different? All all three of these that we're talking about here, Orval, Westmall Westmala and Chimay are all bottle conditioned. Um and that just means that like before they ship them out to the market, they add yeast and typically like can't rock candy sugar to the bottle so that it ferments in the bottle and they all sit on them for x number of days in temperature controlled storage facilities before they're released yeah um another cool thing about orval just because you mentioned so much good stuff there um so have you ever heard about the story supposed story of how orval the monastery was founded i have no do tell. Okay, so I got this. That's why sto- we have you here. Yeah, I got this story from <laughs> this guy. And I wish I could remember his name. I feel so bad that I can't think of his name. But he- sounds like a Tyler. <laughs> Steve. I don't think it, it could be. Maybe Steve. Steve actually sounds like it could be right. That was a good guess, Kenny. Bosophus. Something <laughs> Bos- like that. Oh yeah, like a mi- <laughs> West Tennessee Renaissance guy. name. <laughs> a Renaissance. El- so Alexander. he's from Atlanta. Sorry. <laughs> he, he's actually, I think he's from Atlanta, um, but it's cool because he, so first of all, while we're talking about Orval in general, you, you know the brick store pub in Decatur, Georgia? Been there? Yes. Anybody? Okay. So they're one of the very, very few, I think 20 some odd, um, like, well, I don't know what they call them, but they're like Orval. They're like sanctioned to have kegs and stuff. Yeah, I know that they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're able to carry kegs from these different breweries around the world right. that, that no one can get. Right. Because yeah, when I went like there, a, it was like, you have to have this German beer because this is the only place you can have it on tap or something like that. Yeah. Like, that and place they, and is they have, incredible. Right. They have Orval. Yeah. Um, they're the you know one of the few people that can get the, the giants. So they have Orval Day celebration there, which there's a day that you're supposed to get okay. together and drink Orval. And they have the, the big glasses, the big Orval glasses that hold something like five or six bottles or something and you're supposed to just fill it up with all the bottles oh, wow. and pass it around the bar and everybody just takes a sip out of the same glass which probably wouldn't be a great idea in this day and age but that's some pre-pandemic shit yeah. we love it <laughs> yeah well you know the thing while we're talking pre-pandemic so my my orval right here 
that I'm nearly finished with was brewed on, or I'm sorry, bottled on February 9th, 2020. That's great. Yeah. When was yours bottled? So this Kenny? is kind of this is kind of a pre-pandemic beer. Mine's uh, April, is probably the April, same. Whoa, mine April is... 3rd. 20 April oh, 3rd. Wow, 2020. yours is different. Me too. Damn. Whoa, me too. April oh, 3rd. buddy has an April 3rd. That's yep. crazy because I bought me and Kenneth's at the exact same time. Interesting. And so uh, that's almost a year to the date, which is kind of cool. Um, well, that's just a matter of thing. like uh, batches. I bet like uh, when they were like distributing, you had like the case, something out of the case that was split, which is unique. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unique. And, well. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's, you know, to circle back to bottle fermentation, I, mean, I think that's, you know, if you read right there, it gives you a not only bottled on date, but a best buy date, which they recommend, you know, to to sometimes age these for up to five years because of that bottle conditioning, it can just keep changing in the bottle forever. You know, you drink it in four years, it's going to taste different than if you drink it in five years. And it's, it's a good no, go business ahead. plan to, like, when you know the variants of just the same batch in bottle and not just beer, but wine or uh, any, like, uh, distilled spirit in different barrels, like, it's kind of a cool thing to throw in two different batches so you can see the variance between the same recipe. Totally. We were noting how dark the bottle is and how that's kind of fascinating with the bottle condition. You know, I, you know, I loved these bottles because I would use them for syrups and stuff. Yep. But like the, it's so dark. It's got such a cool shape. The shape of the bottle is called a Skittle bottle. Um, and okay. They, so it's this is all. Man, did you, you practice this, Mike? Do you Let's practice go. this? Because this is all. This is all uh, going back to bottle conditioning again. The reason that they yeah. shape the bottle this way is because um, you're supposed to pour, you know, kind of at a flat angle like this until uh-huh. the beer until the beer stops coming out, right? And right, the- and so you're perpendicular, buddy. Yeah. Right now, as he's pouring the perfect orval, he's perpendicular yeah. and kind of letting it flow from there. Yeah, right. And okay. so the shape of this bottle is supposed to hold back some of the beer that has mm. the yeast in it that was on the bottom of the bottle, right? So you're supposed to save that. You're supposed to wait, right? And right. save, you know, that much, but an mm-hmm. inch an inch in the bottom of the bottle. So, because uh, mm-hmm. it has all that yeast down there. And so you're supposed to drink it and then swish that all around, pour it into your glass and drink that yeasty part on its own because it's supposed to be super high in, in um, vitamin B. I had a, I had a college... Hmm. I had a college roommate that would uh, I, I, that would go back. I still got some. He was a weirdo, but he would go back through the beers that he drank the night before. He it's drank a lot of like Belgian ales, and he would when he woke up in the morning, he would his first water of the morning was the beers that he drank the night before. It was it was very specific. Sounds thing. like college. Like, <laughs> well, it was college, but he was. I mean, like, he was one of those rich boys that could afford really expensive beer. And, like, he's like, I call this a, a, a mantra. I go bro, through get, and I taste the name. beers from the night before. It was Stefan. And, like, we were Stephon, already making fun of him because of his name. But then, like, you know, like, you had to catch him early in the morning to make fun of him for that. Sounds like a but legend. He was trying to preach that to us as well. It was, like, straight up vitamin B. And then years later, you're just, like, taking nutritional yeast and tossing it and everything in the morning it's a decent idea so i just don't want to forget to tell you this story about orval because it's like the coolest part of it i think it's one of the things that makes it my favorite yeah so this this story was told to me by this guy he works for merchant duvin which is the importer for orval 
they import Westmala also, mm-hmm. actually. And he came to just, like, give us a sales pitch, you know. not I mean, he didn't have to give us a sales pitch. We already carried the beer, but he just came to, you know, educate us about it. And he told me this story, which is really cool. So mm-hmm. the, the Abbey was founded in 1070 originally. That's 1070. Wow. 1070. So, yeah, that's amazing. Um, Empress Matilda, her husband had passed away, and she's like riding through here to the, this, this valley where they cross like a stream, and they come to the stream, and she like stops all the carriages and everything, and they get out, and she um, wants to like hang out by the stream for a bit, and so she does, mm-hmm. and she's running her hand back and forth in the water of the stream, and this ring that her recently deceased husband gave her falls off her finger and into the stream and she stops there and prays um and says you know if if you you know god if you'll bring this ring back to me in some way you know i will bless this valley uh and so a few minutes pass and this trout comes out of the water with the ring in its mouth which if you look at the bottle you'll see the trout in the background there with the little ring in his mouth oh yeah yeah i was looking at that and it's That's also amazing. on the, the Orval glass here, little trout with the ring uh-huh. in his mouth. So, so she was yeah. so you know she was so oh my God. blown away by this trout coming out of the water with the ring in its mouth that she bought that land, gave it to the church, and they founded the Orval, the Abbey de Orval on that, and they call it the Valley of Gold or, or Valley de Oro or whatever. I'm not a <laughs> not super up on my French or Dutch or Belgium. But um, you're down there in Tucson, just speaking Spanish. That's just it's all Spanish. Shorthand. Yeah, it's all Spanish. <laughs> yeah. So so and it's then amazing. You know, so this is just such a cool story. Whether it's that's true amazing or not. story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what great. What happened to the trout? I think they still have it. Preserved it. Bitten its head off. Something. No, something. it's alive. It's alive still. The same trout. <laughs> it's a fucking dinosaur trout. Well, it's you know, it's the Valley of Gold. Miracles. The uh, I, I do feel like from the other ones that we're talking about, what sets it apart is that wild yeast, which uh, we can, if you want to talk at all, Brettanomyces, um, a big thing in beer, also short, you know, for shorthand, Brett mm-hmm. or Brit. These styles of beer that use these wild yeasts, and basically, it's an easy thing to define as far as I'm concerned because it's basically the easiest way to define what that is is it's yeast that grows on the skin of fruit. And so you can you can also find it on flowers and herbs and things that grow in the wild or but the main definition of it it would be yeast that grows on the skins of fruit. But you know a lot of different beers that use this. Um, what can you tell us about what you know about like Brettanomyces and their use in beer? Because it's it's become so so much more common over the last like ten years. Yeah. So. I, th- I think the most important thing to think about with a lot of Belgian beers, whether they're Trappist or not, they all use, like, specific, like, homegrown kind of yeast. Like, stuff that yeah. these people made. Like, they... Uh, and they kind of guard it, too, right? What's that? Some of them. Some of them kind of guard, like, oh, yeah. the yeast they're using. Yeah. Big, big time, yeah. Yeah. Um, the one for Chimay, he developed that yeast strain over over two years it took him two years in 1948 Mm. to develop that yeast strain so i think one of the biggest things to know about yeast about the yeast part of this these beers is that not only is it like homegrown and you can't just like go you can't just go to the the yeast store and buy buy these yeasts right not only that but 
they they supposedly pick up characteristics of the environment that they're in in those locations. So, you know, that same yeast, you know, strain somewhere else may taste completely different than it yeah, does Yeah, like there. you can't re- reproduce that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's a big part. That's really the, the essence of what terroir is with beer. Mm-hmm. Is there's a lot of these beers that are made in, whether it's like Saison DuPont or some of these other um, really nice Belgian beers that we have here tonight, um, you couldn't reproduce that even right. if you had the same recipe. Yeah, and that's, I think that's, I think a lot of people like lately have realized that. Like, I can give you the exact recipe. You can't make this where you are. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. if you have the recipe. You know, I'll tell you what hops are in it because you're not going to reproduce this beer in, you know, America somewhere. Yeah, whether you're a monk or not. Right. You need the yeast. Yep. And that's important. So, like, what we're talking about is really fundamental to the, to the taste of the beer. And whatever the hell that is going on at Orval or around there, it's really interesting because I don't recall tasting another beer that has that... Kenneth, you know, talked about it, kind of liver, that liver taste a little bit. And if at you're fir- into that, first, you would really like this. It yeah, went away I mean, it's, really quick, it's, like... Uh, if. We're not saying it's predominant, but I feel like it is. It's something you don't taste in that many beers. That's you know? really interesting. I, I don't think that I ever would have thought that, but now that you say it, I'm like, yeah, I, I know, I know exactly what it's you're like saying. It's like this meaty thing. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like that kind of iron taste. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah, I felt like like that's the head what, pushed he up the iron, and uh, it mm-hmm. kind of it, it evaporated and tasted way different like 15 minutes later than it did. Initially, and I jumped the gun on it too. Like I put my face all up in three-inch head. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that normally. As you should. Thanks, bud. <laughs> also, like I, f- I feel like uh, the water sources, which is like everyone touts their water sources. Exactly. Like if y- if you think about it, like where you're building a monastery, you don't necessarily like build a monastery because you want to like uh, make beer or. Um, what have you 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 look for like a place that has water because you're basically building like a mini city at these times Spe- mm-hmm. i'm speculating help help me out no no you, i think you're exactly right so, i mean like, uh, you know a, a great point you know that that's a good segue into the point that they don't you know these monks are not sitting in the church getting wasted that's not what they do they, you know that's not why they're brewing yeah, beer they're not building they, compounds they, in the desert either because yeah like. Exactly. Yes. Yep. And then, you know, the the Orval story, right? They founded it. They founded that monastery next to a stream that this that this empress lost her ring in. Um so yeah, I mean, water is essential because you're right. It's like it's not just like this little building where people pray. It's a it's a small city most likely. And the whole mm-hmm. reason that they start the breweries, a lot of these places that brew these beers, they don't just brew beer. They make cheese, they farm, they do all this, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it's all to fund the monastery. And a lot of them, as I'll get into in the day in the life stuff, it's they're only like three to four hours outside. Or a lot of times they'll do a morning session and then do another afternoon session. But they don't, they don't like, they're not out in the fields like for 10, 12 hours. It's like... They do a dedicated like three hours. It's pretty smart, really. Well, we it's mm-hmm. like, we definitely they do a lot of conserving energy. We had mentioned this <laughs> on an earlier episode that as monasteries sought out lands and eventually brought monks into like their into their compounds, they also drove the economy of the area 
by having like a complete regimen of of farming and production and carpentry so in a lot of ways it helped a lot of folks in like a like a micro micro level so like you know like trappist beer is really great but breweries near trappist breweries are pretty fucking awesome as well for yeah i mean the belgians are just good at making beer (laughs) yeah they know what they're doing yeah so we should talk a little bit about the one that kenneth and i have already crushed but loved and we all love it the west mall all right let me west molly yeah i mean this is a trappist brewery in the west mall abbey in belgium they produce three beers there designated as trappist beer by the international trappist association um they were founded Almost 200 years ago, going back to 1836, they kind of created this triple character or uh, category. They're one of the yeah. first, or if, if not the first, the first um, yeah. to have that distinction of that strong golden pale ale. That's essentially what a triple is. That This beer is like, I would believe if you told me God created this beer. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's phenomenal. I'm going to so, open one right now. Let's see. All right. So, yes. And uh, they did create the triple. All right, they, they they coined the term triple, and it was because it was their third beer, and the one before it was the double. So um, there's a cool story about that too, of, of why they call them singles, doubles, and triples and quads. So I, I've always heard that um, way back then, you know, when they were first making these beers and they had brew pubs and stuff that people would come and drink at. A lot of people couldn't read; uh, they couldn't read and write, so they would just put. One, two, three, four, you know, up on the chalkboards. Like, this is the first one, this is the second one, this is the third one, this is the fourth one. And, uh-huh. and they would kind of stick to those categories, whether it be the first, second, third, or fourth one. And uh, that just sort of evolved into single, double, triple, and quadruple. Well, you'd think that, like, double is one level of strength, and then triple is going to be, like, stronger. But it's not necessarily the case. It's not really darker. Yeah, I mean... It's typically typically lighter. Yeah, well, triples are definitely lighter than doubles. And they could be higher than alcohol, but they don't necessarily have to be, I don't think. But yeah, I mean, one big common misconception, and something that I heard for a long time until I was corrected by people that knew about beer, is that the double is twice the ingredients of the single, and the the triple is three times the that's not true that's that's not the way it works it's not just like they're doubling the ingredients and calling it a double and a triple and a quadruple it's totally different beers different malts different hops different brewing processes yeah they just have a really basic way of saying it's like it's the second one we made yeah it's the third (laughs) one that we made and we liked it and you're like well no it's like we we think it's stronger it's supposed to be stronger you know it's like not necessarily that's just like that's not what they're saying how americans equate things like it's, it's probably the most accessible beer of the beer geek beers. You know, that like you're like, uh, you know, your beer geek friend might be like, you have to try this beer. It's so good. But I feel like it's it's one of those that's got a mass appeal to it that, you know, anyone would be like, oh, OK, OK. I kind of get that this is a this is a different thing. This is delicious. It's got that bottle condition thing we talked about with Orval, but it's the the taste of it is cleaner. The malt is like fruitier. And it's like just more kind of pristine. I feel like it's not as out of, you know, it's not as wild and out of control as Orval. Yeah. It's like more restrained and uh, just beautiful. It's like it's like the stained glass painting that Kenneth so ceremoniously has 
behind him tonight. Amazing which, thank you, thank you, Kenneth. For That's not a painting. That is a stained glass window, actually. Decorating. Um, I really, to be honest, I wasn't sure if it was real or fake this whole time. I just <laughs> <laughs> the lighting's weird for me. It looks yeah. real, but I mean, this beer is is sweeter than Orval for sure. It's a little sweeter. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's higher in alcohol. It's a good bit higher in alcohol. Uh, I think. Orval, I think, is six point nine. This one, this puppy's nine point five. Well, it didn't. Uh, it's sneaky it, in that no, way. I thought oh, yeah. it was way lighter and like I yeah I did I too. Thought it was way lighter and like I thought I'm like, looking at it everything now. Everything about it was a crusher. Yeah, I mowed the lawn like uh, before the storm. Thank God. Damn, oh wow, like, first mow for you. Yeah. First mow. I mean, Buddy lives in the desert, but like it's a big deal out here right now, Buddy. Everybody's having their first mow. Yeah, there's there's no mowing going on where I live. I can tell you. Yeah, just a little sprinkle on the on the dirt and stuff. Yep. And on the cacti. Yep. Dude, it's beautiful there though in in Tucson. Mm-hmm. Are you loving it out there? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, the cool the Tucson lacks a lot of what I love in a city like Nashville. You know, places to mm-hmm. eat and places to drink and like just you know nightlife kind of stuff but mm-hmm. uh there, there's places that that have their have their thing here but it's not like nashville you know like i used to have a hard time deciding where to go in nashville because there's so many great places what for everything that tucson lacks in what i love about a city like nashville it makes up for it its beauty like you you can't you you've it never is gorgeous seen, it's it's insane it's beautiful yeah i've done some trail running and the trails uh in Tucson with a buddy of mine who I played rugby with. We were down there and we were still training. So we were like running the trails and all the crazy cactus and the wild pigs and the fucking jackals and whatever jackalope or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a very unique area. Where I'm living right now, man, there's, I, you'll see like multiple big game wildlife on your way home like every day. Just about. Wow. That's dope. That's, That's pretty dope. cool. Anybody have anything else on West Mall, the brewery? Do we do we get into um, enough there? I mean. Yeah, I think that's about all I got for, for West Mall. But, you know, they, they do make a triple, a double. So, buddy, something to note about these monks is they're not sitting around drinking these triples and doubles. They make their own style of beer for them to drink, a real simple kind of everyday beer. Let's talk about what the monks are actually drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another thing that's really cool, I think, about um, just all these beers is, you know, we talked about how, like, there's not just monks, you know, getting wasted. They're not brewing beer to just get hammered. A lot of these monk, these these monasteries, they will brew the single, right? The single is something that they don't usually even distribute. Like, a lot of places you can't get their single and that's because it's a it's a really simple, super low alcohol beer, and usually the that's what the monks drink. If they're going to drink beer, they drink that single. I mean, if they're going to be working outside, they're doing work out in the hot sun. Maybe um, they need a, a single beer that uh, will quench their thirst, not have too much alcohol, because they got a lot of prayers going on at night, and they've got a lot of activities to do. But don't you think? Uh, Chimay is kind of the introductory monk beer, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and and I think that I think that <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because it really is. It's like that first one that you hear about, right? And when you don't even know what a Trappist beer is or or how you know, 
Yeah, I'll open one too here. In the mic. Let's see if you can hear some head fizzing here. Let it play jazz. <laughs> Why don't you listen to it? Yeah, let's talk about a little bit about these Trappist monks. I just looked up a little bit about Trappist monks and monasteries in general. You know, just like one of the, one of the things that I found that I thought was really cool is that a lot of these, or or maybe all of them, I'm not going to act like I'm a, the expert on Cistercian monks, which are also Benedictine monks, which is what the name Benedictine comes from, which you just talked about recently. And part of being a monk and coming together in a monastery was really about avoiding the crush of loneliness that can happen to all of us at, at one time or another. At the time that St. Benedict came along, uh, the monks spent a lot of time secluded. And Benedict was the one that was like, bring these secluded monks together so that they can be less depressed. Right, and there are regulations on Trappist beer. Yeah, well, you probably don't because it's kind of a bummer. I mean, it kind of sounds like a bummer to me. I, it's good, obviously, because I think, you know, you can't really do it without this, some sort of business model. Um, so in order to be a Trappist beer, it has to be brewed and cleverly included and or, and or overseen by monks, right? So a lot of these uh, monasteries now have lay people that do the actual job but everything has to pass through the monks before it you know goes out which that's how they keep themselves in the the true trappist category where, where you can put that trappist lo uh, logo on your bottle it's like the lamb getting blessed for the butcher dark <laughs> yeah <laughs> for easter yeah, and where is this? Where is Chimay made exactly? And uh, what can you tell us about the brewery itself? Um, so, Scormont Abbey in Chimay, France, and it was supposedly monks that um, were fleeing from the Saint Sixtus, which is uh, I always mispronounce it. West Veteran, I think, is the beer. It's that beer that you can't get anywhere except the monastery. Um, so they were fleeing the uh, the French Revolution, I believe, and. They were gifted um, a piece of land uh, by the prince of Chimay, and then they started, you know, the monastery there. 1862, they started brewing. Um, the first beer is the one that I'm drinking, which is cool, and the most recent beer is the one you guys are drinking, which is cool. So I'm drinking the Chimay Rouge, which is the, well, they call it Premier on the label, and you guys are drinking the Triple. Um, that's... Well, I think that'll lead us straight into booze news. Booze news with Kenneth Deadman. An interjection on monks of April. Brewery owner, uh, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio resident for the third year in a row has gone as of this recording almost completed his third Lent, only ingesting beer. Whoa. Beer, black tea, and coffee. 
water. Only drinking beer for a long period of time or with a little water and coffee thrown in. That's the kind of cleanse I can get involved in. Um, so maybe that's worth a try. Maybe I try that. Yeah. I mean, um, and then and then we just talked about the beer with the vitamin B in it. His name's Del Hall. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is, is Michael. That's a vacation we can't afford. His argument is uh, that um, moderation is not necessarily like a thing, and uh, <laughs> and he, he's like, what's <laughs> prove to the world that um, he has quoted a uh, he's quoted a Renaissance monk tradition of uh, drinking a special special bach like a like a brand of bach that only monasteries and france and italy brewed in the 1600s this will be his third year and i thought that was funny <laughs> in his uh in his yearly fast he loses uh 30 to 50 pounds just I'm telling you beer. that's why i asked if he was ripped i mean how long is lint it's like 40 Four weeks? 46 days 46, 46 days, days of only drinking beer, I guess, coffee, tea, water. Right, and we've got one at the end here. What else do you know about that one, buddy? A kill? Yeah, this is just the one that, uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, this beer, a kill, I guess is how you pronounce it. Never had it. I, I, I don't know how it's pronounced, unfortunately. This is the first time I've ever had it. It's the first time I've ever seen it, actually. But Akel, I guess? A-C-H-E-L is how it's spelled. Um, they were one of the monasteries that founded the um, the Trappist Association, right? So the, 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 the group that made all of the determinations of whether or not you could put that Trappist label on your beer. Because as long as the beer is made in a Trappist monastery, it's a Trappist beer. But you can't put this label on it unless there's, you know, more qualifications met. Um, so they're one of the founding members of this group that, that, that created the rules around this label. And they recently, like recently as in January of this year, lost their Trappist label because all of their monks have passed away and they're, the monks are not overseeing the brewery anymore, which is one of the qualifications of using the Trappist label. Well, just thought that was really cool. According, I mean, according to their beliefs, they are overseeing that monastery. I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> they sh they should have written that in there because that's a pretty compelling argument. I think. All right, Mr. Buddy Buttram, thank you so much for coming on the show. We love you. We miss you. Hey, you too. Love you. Cheers. Cheers to both of you. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Dude, love you too, man. We really appreciate you coming along. Come back and talk uh, Brandy Old Fashions and drinks of the Wisconsin Supper Club. I think that's going to be an amazing episode. Maybe we'll save that one for the fall or so. Before we go today, I have to do this as I've been doing on the other episodes. I like getting into the day in the life of these different monks. I've got some, uh, some info on the day in the life of the Trappist monk. I know this is not electrifying content, but I want this to be on the episode. And I have heard from a few people that listening to the peaceful 
uh, story of a day in the life of a Trappist monk has helped him fall asleep. So <laughs> you're welcome for that. All right, let's get into this a little bit. A Trappist monk at 3.45 a.m., there are vigils. A bell rings in early morning, calling the monks from their sleep. Vigils is the first office and is primarily a poetry of spoken text in call and response form. The monks read and chant long passages from Psalms, a most accessible and uplifting section of the Bible. Seven times each day, monks will gather in the chapel to pray, chant, and read, expressing their communion with each other in contemplation of God. Uh, 6.30 a.m., the Lauds in the Eucharist. And this is from a, uh, a, this virtual museum in Canada, talking about a, a day in the life of a Trappist monk. A, a monk's day is balanced harmoniously between three activities, prayer, study, and manual labor. Early morning is a time of personal reflection and study. The second gathering of the day is Lauds, also known as the Office of Praise. It is a joyful greeting of the dawn. It's a shorter office when God's blessing on the day is asked. At 7.30 a.m., the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the whole Christian life and of the Brothers' Communion. For this reason, it is celebrated every day. Now, 8.45. This is before the morning work period begins. The monks chant a short office called Tirse, I believe. I might be mispronouncing that. Even in tasks of manual labor, when simple enough, can provide a meditative opportunity where each moment, each action is offered as a gesture of prayer. In this way, prayer occurs throughout the day. So this is like some Zen, some Zen kind of monk stuff going on here. 11.30 a.m., the sext, the office of the sext occurs after the morning work period, which consists of tasks such as gardening, preparing foods, and building projects. Building projects. That sounds like that sounds like my kind of period. I'm, I'm I would dig the eleven thirty hour. Um, they ought, they they do this before lunch, one uh, thirty p.m. The office of none. This sounds like right up Kenneth Sally. The office of none. It's a short and focused prayer uh, time. Uh, it sits in the middle of the day after lunch and before the afternoon work session. Monks reflect on the reading of the day, which highlights the great value of humble manual labor. 5.05 p.m., the Vespers, as we've talked about with some of the other monks that we've discussed on Monks of March. The working day is done, and it's time to give thanks to God. After each office, the monks leave in procession and rank from when they entered the monastery, first the abbot, then prior, followed by the sub-prior, and the rest of the community in order of seniority. 7.45 p.m., the Compline, special evening office. The primary chant, Salve Regina, is sung in unison and in Latin. It is a beautiful melodic break from the simple chants throughout the day. It is sung in a darkened chapel with only a candle lighting the statue of Mary with the infant Jesus in her arms. Mary holds a place of great importance in the, uh, in the life of the Trappist monk. So that's what I've got. That's kind of the day in the life there of one Trappist monastery. And some of the, uh, if you're into this, you can look up some more details and a more detailed kind of day in the life. But uh, I just think it's interesting to think about what does a monk do throughout the day and the 
repetitive nature of the way they do things. Even though the work that they're all, that they're going to be doing every day is going to be changing, they're working on projects. Obviously, we know gardening is something that is always changing. There can be a ton of work. Sometimes it's light work, but uh, so their day isn't exactly the same every day. But the structure that they have um, seems to be a big part of it. For my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman and Buddy Buttram, the Trappist Honk himself. We will see you next time. My name's Mike Wolf. Been a lot of fun today. Want to throw a shout out to our producer, Michael Eads, and everybody at We Own This Town, We Own This Town Podcast Network. Check out the music show, as always. They're doing premieres of different videos, and they've got a lot of cool stuff going on on that feed. Thanks to Upright T-Rex Music for the tunes. Thanks so much to Jess Matchin for the logo and our cocktail correspondent, Miss Jess Backus. She'll be back with us soon. We will see you next time right here on Liquid Gold.